Welcome to the Macmillan Report. I'm Marilyn Wilkes, your host, and our guest is Noelle Vallis. She's a professor of Spanish who studies interdisciplinary approaches to modern Spanish culture, including religion, literature, and celebrity. She has received a number of honors and awards, including the Victoria Urbano Academic Achievement Prize in 2017 for her work in Hispanic Women's and Gender Studies. Today, we'll talk with Professor Vallis about her book, Lorca After Life. Welcome, Professor Vallis. Thank you. Thank you so much. I'm, I'm, it's a pleasure being here. So I'm excited to talk about your book. Let's begin with an overview of it. Tell okay. us about it. Well, it, it's a book that centers on Federico García Lorca, one of the great poets and playwrights uh, of modern Spain and of the world, perhaps the most translated writer in the Spanish language, um, certainly as much translated as Cervantes and Borges. And what I center on is Lorca as a cultural icon. Mm -hmm. So that's where the title comes from, uh, Afterlife. But of course, to talk about Lorca Afterlife, you also have to talk about him a little bit before. <laughs> yes, tell us, who was he? <laughs> ah, Lorca. Lorca uh, was one of these kind of unique figures that Spain tends to produce, like the great painter Goya in the 19th century, mm -hmm. 18th and 19th centuries. Uh, and he, um, he, he was a, how can I say this? I guess the, the easiest way to say this is the first time I read Lorca, I fell in love with his work. Wow. And it was a really personal uh, um, reaction to him. And, and I think that's the case for a lot of people mm -hmm. who, who first run across Lorca. And I ran across him when I was a college student, like the way uh, many people do, especially in this country. I guess a way to say to you who was Lorca is maybe just to tell you a few, recite a few lines from his poetry. Sure. For example, there's a wonderful poem that almost everybody reads. It's called Writer's Song. Uh, and some, the last lines, if I can remember them, and if not, we'll, go, we'll skip to the next segment. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> in, in, the lines are uh, as follows. Ay, que la muerte me espera antes de llegar a Córdoba, Córdoba, lejana y sola. Oh, but death awaits me before I ever get to Córdoba, Córdoba, distant and alone. Those lines are very mysterious. Or the lines from another poem that almost everybody reads, it's called The Ballad of the Moon Moon, oh. <laughs> Romance de la Luna Luna. And the last lines of that poem uh, are Ay, como canta la sumaya, como canta en el árbol. Por el cielo va la luna con el niño de la mano. Oh, how the night jar sings, how it sings in the trees. Through the sky goes the moon with a child in its hands. Beautiful. Isn't that gorgeous? Yeah. Yes. So, and especially yeah. in Spanish, it's yeah. beautiful. That's so why I wanted to at least, it doesn't really matter if you can understand the lines because it, it has such a magic, you know, the, the Spanish of Lorca has these magical qualities. And one of the things that's so interesting about Lorca is um, you can, you look at these lines, you say, what do they mean? <laughs> what do they mean? And behind a lot of his poetry, not all of it, but behind a lot of it is death. Mm -hmm. 
Um, I, I often say when I teach Lorca uh, to my students, I say, I, for me, death is the precondition for his poetry. You really can't understand it without that. It's and probably why, the case for others, too. And why do you think that is? That's a hard question to answer, um, perhaps in part because a poet's voice is always in one sense posthumous. He leaves his work, he leaves this life, and what does he leave us? That's what he leaves us with. It's, it's a posthumous life. Mm -hmm. uh, I'm not the first to say this, but it seems to me a very apt way of understanding literature in general. Mm -hmm. But uh, on a more personal level, I think Lorca was um, rather obsessed with, with death. And, of course, people always connect that with him because of the way he died as well. That is one of the things that uh, anyone who reads even a few lines of Lorca and looks him up and says, oh, my God, yes. he was murdered. Right, right. Uh, so tell us yeah. a little bit about that. Well, he was a very strong supporter of uh, the Second Republic, which was a democratically elected government. And in the summer of 1936, uh, a civil war broke out. It started as a coup, a military coup, against the legitimately elected government. And Lorca always went back in July to Granada, his hometown in the south of Spain. Mm -hmm. And he was there, and a few days later, the, the war broke out. He hid in the house of a, a friend of his because he understood that they were, they were looking for him. And they found him. And by August, he was dead. They shot him. And probably in large part because he was a supporter of the Republic. Mm -hmm. Now we think there were probably multiple motives, uh, and one of the motives might have been as well uh, the fact that he was gay. Mm -hmm. And that is also one of the things I look at. I don't review all the history of his death because that's been done a huge amount of times mm -hmm. and, and, and quite well. Uh, Ian Gibson, the great bi biographer, has done this, for example. But. Um, what I wanted to look at is, well, how was he imagined? The fact that he, was, he died in such an extraordinary way. Uh, not very many poets are actually assassinated right. in this way. And certainly very, very few who were gay. Um, so I thought, well, let's look and see how he was imagined mm -hmm. um, in, his, uh, in his dying moments. That was one of the things that I wanted to look at, because that has contributed hugely to his iconic status. Okay, and let's talk about that. How was he imagined? And also, mm -hmm. um, he died relatively young. I think 41, am I no, correct? No, actually, no? I think 38. Wow, okay. 1898 to 1936, yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Well, um, one of the most um, iconic poems is by Antonio Machado, and he imagines him marching serenely through the streets, accompanied by his executioners, and facing death in a kind of heroic fashion. Mm -hmm. That is obviously something he has imagined because nobody uh, who witnessed this has ever really spoken in, uh, at all about how he died. Okay. Uh, so that is one of the ways that he's been imagined. Uh, in other ways, it's, it's, uh, it's been uh, as a martyr to the cause of Republican Spain, mm -hmm. uh, uh, to the values of democracy. And you can still see these, this kind of imagining even today. Um, because he's often connected with the transition to democracy after the death of the dictator, Franco. Okay. So that's one of the things I looked at. Um, and there was a huge amount of material. I had to kind of pare it down and just take a number of examples, obviously. But the other thing I wanted to do was I, I looked at four different aspects of the way he might have been imagined or thought of. Okay. Um, and some of them, actually, he was imagined this way even in life, but mostly after death. And I looked at them as, as imaginary communities. Mm -hmm. uh, so the first one was Lorca and the Dead, 
and I've given you a couple of examples of how you can see him that way. But it's also the literary dead, you know, in the uh, Dead Poet Society, okay. to, to take the title from that wonderful movie, yes. right, from the 1980s. Um, and then another thing that I look at is Lorca and the People. Mm -hmm. And a third is Lorca and the Right, the Political Right. And the last is Lorca and Gaze. Okay. So let's talk about each of, of those. Yeah. Um, of course, you did touch upon the death, but right. what about the people? Who are the people? That's the, boy, that is a number one question. Mm -hmm. And I can't say that I, I could definitively tell you <laughs> who the people are, because it really depended on, on which group was talking about and laying claim to the people during the Civil War and afterward. But what I can say is they, they saw Lorca as the people's poet. Yeah, the left in particular and the Republicans in particular saw him as the people's poet. Mm -hmm. um, and so, and this was deeply connected obviously to the Second Republic. And it's fascinating to see this because Lorca was what you would call a senorito. Now in Spanish, that's in, kind of difficult to translate, but it means that he came from a rather comfortable background. Mm -hmm. His father was a wealthy landowner, uh, n not high up socially speaking, but he, he certainly uh, had uh, a comfortable life, and Lorca did not have to work for, work, for, for a living. Uh, and in fact, his father supported him during most of his, his life and his career. He only started earning money toward the last few years with mm -hmm. his plays in particular. Having said that, um, he as a senorito, he never worked harder. I mean, he was, you know, he really was dedicated to his craft. <laughs> <laughs> um, this is a kind of a class distinction, and it is kind of ironic, you know, that he would be seen this way. But on the, on the other hand, is maybe it's not ironic because he also identified very closely uh, with the, the pop what we would call the popular classes, mm -hmm. uh, and he had a great deal of sympathy toward them. And uh, and why do you, you know, think that is, since he was not of that class? Because he, I think partly because of, in his, his formative years he was raised in the countryside mm -hmm. and um, like others from his background, um, there was, he, he was um, closely in contact with, uh, with uh, those of the more humble classes. Um, the people who were surrounded him uh, were from these classes, and um, he imbibed, like others before him, the popular culture of the uh, okay. uh, of the humbler classes in and Spain. That, and he and it spoke to him. He felt some yeah. empathy. Yeah. Whereas other people could probably, oh, you know, right. no, I don't. You in, know. Spa in Spain, there's a tradition here too, because there's such a rich popular tradition, say the oral tradition of poetry, mm -hmm. uh, and there's not this heavy or very clear-cut divide or antagonism between, say, popular poetry, um, that is, the, the oral tradition, and, and the written, uh, more refined tradition of, okay. of poets. Mm -hmm. Many of them really uh, are inspired by this popular tradition, not just Lorca. Right, so okay. it's not surprising mm -hmm. in that sense. So uh, was Lorca um, very well known during his lifetime as a poet? Mm -hmm. Yes, okay. he was, as a poet and a playwright. He was famous. Um, he was a celebrity. Okay. And indeed, when you look at somebody and his icon iconic status, you're really looking at his celebrity and his fame. Mm -hmm. And um, he was both. He was a celebrity and he was a famous person, and he continued to be after his death. He still is. You know, we tend to think, well, celebrity is pretty fleeting, and it generally is. Mm -hmm. um, fame, we, fame can also be fleeting, but it tends to be a little more enduring in comparison. And fame in, the, in its origins was something that 
um, people associated more with uh, accomplishments, with deeds, with something virtuous. Mm -hmm. um, celebrity, we tend not to to associate it as much, although a, cele a celebrity can certainly have accomplishments. But on the other hand, there are lots of celebrities who are only famous for being celebrities, exactly. as we know, it's yes. especially the case today. Mm -hmm. um, so I ended up really also, at the same time as I was looking at this individual case of Lorca, um, meditating about, you know, what does it mean to be a celebrity? What is a celebrity? Um, and um, and what surrounds celebrity? Mm -hmm. What surrounds celebrity? So those four groups that I was talking about, the dead, the gays, the right, and the, and, uh, the people, in part come out of the celebrity status, the fame of Lorca. Mm -hmm. Lorca produces these communities which are not always harmonious, uh, which reflect the fractured history of Spain. Mm -hmm. So what about the gays, that section? Talk a little bit mm -hmm. about that. How did they imagine him? This was one of the most fascinating things for me. Um, certainly other, other scholars have looked at Lorca uh, and, uh, as gay uh, or looked at what they can um, perceive in his poetry that has to do with him being gay. Uh, and there's some very fine work that's been done on, uh, in all, the, all these areas, certainly. But um, one of the things that surprised me was how much I realized I didn't know about the 1920s and 30s and what it meant to be gay in Spain. Mm -hmm. and so tell us about yeah, that. The what cliche, did you learn? Yeah, the cliche is that it was, it was terrible to be gay <laughs> in that period. Mm -hmm. And certainly it was not easy. Yeah, no one should ever think otherwise. And that's the case everywhere. Right. Um, but on the other hand, this was actually the period when you start to see s some more visibility. Mm -hmm. uh, it's, it's still somewhat uh, uh, timid, let us say, um, but um, you definitely see more visibility in, in uh, society and in literature and the arts. I would say that that was one of the things that I found to be really fascinating. I discovered another gay figure who's a contemporary of Lorca. Uh, one that now is, is being looked at far more often than, than before he'd sort of fallen into neglect, and I found it very interesting to compare him. Who? His name is Alvaro Retana, okay. and he wrote these rather racy stories and novels, and oh. he was a dress designer, and he wrote songs, so he was a uh, man of all trades, so to speak. Mm -hmm. And um, he was often seen as publicly gay, or at least bisexual, mm -hmm. in comparison to Lorca, who was never out of the closet, okay. which was more the case than not for most for most gays in the sure. period. But I found that really interesting, uh, that um, you could look at this and see that being gay could mean different things depending on the person, the personality, the groups they, they were in, and so on and so forth. Mm -hmm. So then I started looking at, well, he, he was barely referred to as being gay during the period of his lifetime. Mm -hmm. There were uh, a couple of insult. There were a few insulting <laughs> references to him in newspapers that did not particularly care for Lorca, mm -hmm. um, and you could see that a little bit afterward as well. But for the most part, um, there was a kind of screen or veil, you know, thrown over uh, his the fact of being uh, homosexual. And so what what I discovered is that you really have to wait a while before uh, after his death before people started reflecting on that. Mm -hmm. But when they did, it was really interesting. And, and I think one of the most um, fascinating aspects was to see how other gay writers looked at him. And can you give an example of, some, mm -hmm. of how some of them did? Yeah, um, Ginsburg. 
Allen Ginsberg. It's brief, but it's, but it's telling. Mm -hmm. There's a wonderful poem of his in Howell, uh, his iconic collection, yeah. a, a supermarket in California, I think it's called, okay. um, where he, <laughs> he spots Walt Whitman and Lorca in a grocery store um, among the avocados and peaches and, and pears. Mm -hmm. and, um, and at one point, you know, he, he talks about Walt Whitman eyeing the grocery boys, <laughs> uh, and, and he notices that Lorca's down there as well although he doesn't say that he's eyeing the grocery boys. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and, and toward the end of the poem, he, he talks directly to Walt Whitman. He says, Walt Whitman, where are you going? You know, um, this, the store closes in an hour. What, which way does your beard point? Um, so it's a wonderful poem. And, and, and it is a way, curiously, I think, of, uh, of outing Lorca mm -hmm. in a peculiar way, yeah. and a funny, ironic way, and, and poignant, too, uh, because of the connection with Walt Whitman. And, um, and so I look at that as a kind of a double outing. They go on an outing to a, a grocery store, uh -huh. but it's also another outing. Exactly, yeah, <laughs> very good, very good. Um, so in writing the book, how did you do the research? I mean, there's so much, as you pointed out, mm -hmm. volumes of, of material God, yeah. on him. Yeah. So how did, you, how did you go about um, picking what you did to, to do the book? Well, that was a challenge, and it's one of the reasons why it took me several years to do, do this project, do the research and the writing, mm -hmm. and also because I'm just very slow. <laughs> <laughs> and, because there's heaps written on Federico Garcia Lorca. Uh, it's like writing on Borges or Cervantes. I certainly didn't read everything, but I read a huge amount. I just felt that I needed to make sure that I, I covered my bases, for one thing. Sure. But also, there was a lot that was quite interesting. But I also found a, a lot of primary sources, uh, and some of them that people had, a lot of them that people had already used, but I, I wanted to look at it in a different way. Mm -hmm. um, you, can, oh, you, know, you can always go back to these sources and find other ways mm -hmm. of looking at them. And so that was very interesting as well. Were there any personal letters that you were able to read between oh, yes. him and other people? Yeah, there, well, there's, there's a, um, a solid body of correspondence, um, and a lot of it has been published, mm -hmm. fortunately. So that was something that was readily available to me, and I certainly read his correspondence. Um, and I read some correspondence that um, was to him, as well as the letters that he wrote. Mm -hmm. Um, and I found, for example, online there was a wonderful archive uh, from a poet friend of his named Luis Rosales. And uh, that turned out to be quite interesting, and it had hardly at all been touched with respect to Lorca. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, I found some interesting stuff. Oh, yeah, good, mm -hmm. good. Mm -hmm. um, there's a bit of mystery, actually, surrounding his death from, from what I had read in yes. terms of no one knows where his remains are. Yeah, I, I write about that, too. Okay. It is quite interesting. Uh, and, you know, some people throw up their hands and say, do we need to talk about this one more time? You know, <laughs> especially in Spain, they can sort of feel frustrated and fed up, you know, because it has been dealt with so many times. But we don't know where he is. And there have been a number of excavations, and each one has come up empty. Mm -hmm. uh, and so it is one of the, you know, the enduring mysteries about him. Right. Sometimes it overshadows a bit his work, which is obviously the most important thing. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, my view is if this is clearly important to people, so we should look at it at least one more time. Right, right. <laughs> yeah. So um, what do you conclude in the book? Well, I look at, um, I, I, I try to look and see uh, what his celebrity ultimately produced. Um, obviously, it's his work as well. I'm not trying to say it's just his celebrity, mm -hmm. but it seems to me that unless you're someone with an enduring impact like Lorca, 
you're not going to be able to understand how those four groups that I mentioned had such a had such a, an impact, and how his his celebrity, his fame, had such an impact on these four groups. I think it would be better said. So that, in essence, what we're talking about is that Lorca has an individual and a communal identity, mm -hmm. and that. Celebrity itself is actually quite crowded, <laughs> and literally and virtually in the sense that one of the things that surrounds celebrity and fame are crowds, and I talk about that as well. Um, they don't have to be real, they can be virtual, but it's crowds, you know, and these communities are in some sense also different types of crowds. Mm -hmm. And so uh, I, I ended the book with a small postscript in which I looked at a letter from a 14-year-old Spanish schoolboy who wrote a letter to Luis Rosales, the friend of Lorca, in 1989, asking him one question, he said, how do you remember Federico Garcia Lorca? He didn't get an answer because oh. Rosales was sick, and he was really actually close to, to his end. But he wrote to other people as well who did answer him. Mm -hmm. And I thought that was fascinating because he was really asking for an interview of sorts. Mm -hmm. And uh, it was a fan letter. It was a fan letter. Uh, he was an admirer of Rosales and Lorca. And I thought that was a perfect example of what I was talking about. And the same guy, the 14-year-old schoolboy, when many, many years later, he became a, a journalist and a writer, and he wrote about Lorca. And he also uh, participated in organizing yet one more of these excavations, trying to find Lorca's wow. body. What a nice yeah. story. Yeah. 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 Well, thank you so much for being here mm -hmm. with us today and sharing your work. I really enjoyed it. Thank you. I enjoyed it tremendously, Marilyn. For more information about Professor Vallis and her research, please visit our website at macmillanreport.yale.edu. Be sure to join us again for another episode of the Macmillan Report, made possible through funding from the Whitney and Betty Macmillan Center for International and Area Studies at Yale.